It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hi, I'm Jason Bryant from the Shortime Wrestling Podcast and founder of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and operated, and those opinions presented and expressed may not reflect others, the sponsors, patrons, or the parent network. Find more shows about the greatest sport in the world at the Matt Talk Podcast Network at matttalkonline.com. Welcome to On the Mat, presented by Cliff Keen Athletic. I am Kyle Klingman, along with Andy Optimus Prime Hamilton. And Andrew, we have a chance now as we go into championship season to... Look back at how we actually got to this point. It has been quite a journey. 2020 was quite a journey. And for me, it starts with you saying, what do you think about this coronavirus? I don't know if you said coronavirus or COVID-19, but you had been researching it long before I had, which is par for the course. That's usually how things happen. You dig deep into it. And then I play a little catch up when you tell me about it at times and I kind of blew it off a little bit, and here we are, and we are in COVID wrestling season. It has been quite a season, but you have not, as we pointed out last program, been to a championship or any wrestling event for that matter since the NAIs and the Big 12s. Pretty amazing to think about. We're 51 weeks away from it. Yeah, it is incredible. Like We'd go to probably half of our year would be spent at in venue at wrestling events. And I can in a rem- normal year. And I can remember well, you were on the road traveling not only domestically but internationally. You always like to brag about how you had all these points built up when you were <laughs> flying across the country and Andy got first class seats and I had to go back to coach and you're sitting next to Kayla Miracle and all the women's team while I'm back there flying coach back from Colorado Springs because you earned all the points. But <laughs> I guess that's the way it works. You know, I mean, you you would come out with, uh, I remember after 2019, you're like, hey, I just got to hang out with Jordan Burroughs in the club suite, and you didn't. And 
But I, I erroneous, a, erroneous. Hey, but I had a great conversation with Ray Bunker that I'll never forget. I had it with Ryan Schilling, and I wouldn't trade that conversation with Ray Bunker, who was on the world team for anything. So you got Jordan Burroughs, I got Ray Bunker, and well, it wasn't just Jordan Burroughs. It's Jordan Burroughs, James Green, Kevin Jackson. <laughs> Look at this guy. All these guys, all Kyle the, all the icons. <laughs> I mean, you got you got how many four time champs in there? How many Olympic golds? How many world, world champs? <laughs> all those dudes in there. But it has David Taylor. <laughs> it has to be either a world champ or an NCAA champ, and he's going to drop the name like that. But you did travel a ton. That's the point being is that you built up so many points, so many miles. I don't know how many it was, but there were times where you would get off a trip. And you'd say, I'm going right back on a trip, and there'd be like a day gap in between. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was, I think, like a stretch in 2018 where I was on the road, I think, 42 days out of 60 and out of the country, like 38 of them. And like I said, it's been 51 weeks since I've even been in a wrestling arena. And your country and your kingdom has been your home. We did not see each other except for once I think since we had the cancellation of the NCAA championships in 2020, I think we saw each other once. You brought something by and we kept probably 12 feet apart, but that was about it. Lots of Google Hangouts, lots of different things that we had to adapt to. But in looking back and how we got to this point, just thinking back now, we had the preview show with Barry Davis. It was close to dropping, I think, at that point. We had a D1 preview show with uh, Barry Davis, D3 with Jim Miller, John Peterson did one for the D2s, and then it just went all downhill from there. And then the championships got dropped, I didn't go down to D3s, D1s got canceled, and here we are going into another championship season. Me knowing that the last time I went to a championship was the Women's Nationals in Adrian, Michigan. Super proud that I got a chance to go to that because it was really important for me to see that history of seeing the first collegiate Women's National Championships and just to understand what it was like to be there. And I think that's the one thing that you cannot replicate is being there gives you a different vibe than just having a Zoom call or watching it virtually. I just think there is something that gives you a better understanding of the sport, better understanding of the situation if you were there. And just thinking about who our guest is going to be with Brian Smith, thinking about one of his most famous athletes. I feel like being there with Jaden Cox or being around there, hey, I went down purposely to go watch Ben Askren wrestle his last dual meet of his senior year because I wanted to see it. I wanted to feel what it was like. We've missed that. We're getting closer to getting back to that, but we it appears that we're going to pull off a D1 championship this year. Let's hope. Let's hope. But with all that in mind, Andy, the one thing it's done for me is that I don't trust anything anymore. When people say, hey, what do you think? Or give us a preview. I, I'm so guarded about thinking too far ahead, which is probably a good way to be naturally. But I just don't think that far ahead, even when the season was going to come first part of the year, I'm like, yeah, we'll see. That that was always my mentality. We'll, we'll see if it actually gets pulled off. And I, I got to say, I'm actually a little bit surprised that we've had this many dual meets. There's been some cancellations, but on the whole, we've seen quite a bit of wrestling this year. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, what we went, we go about like three months without any wrestling there. 
from about March until mid-March or end of March until I think it was like June when things started getting fired back up again. Yeah. But after that, like, you know, I don't want to say we're we're completely back to normal because we've missed out on a lot of high-level marquee tournaments. But to still be in the middle of a pandemic or, or hopefully nearing the end of a pandemic and yet we're able to have, like, I think it's probably fair to call it a makeshift season, but... And I go back to August when it looked like we weren't going to have a college football season or at least uh, a very limited one. I, I was really concerned about what that would mean for college wrestling and, and wrestling as a whole. And, and to be where we're at now, I think uh, a lot of credit goes to, you know, let's just start with Bob Bowlesby, Big 12 commissioner for remain and firm in his tracks that Big 12 football was going to occur. And what we saw was in the Big 12, SEC, ACC continue to have college football. And, you know, credit to the the commissioners. Um, you know, I named Bob because he's a guy that we've had on this show and we know him pretty well, but uh, a staunch wrestling supporter. But but uh, the commissioners of those three leagues to, to stand firm and, and – maintain their ground that they're going to have a college football season. And then you get big 10 football back and, and PAC 12 comes back and the Mac and other conferences come back. I think that really saved the wrestling season. In my opinion, I, d I don't know where we would be with that, without those conferences holding firm and, and having a college football season. And then you think about the ramifications of that. Like what does that mean for Olympic sports? If we don't have college football in the fall. Granted, it wasn't you know college football with full stadiums, but it was college football with TV revenue still coming in, and so I think a, a lot of credit goes to them and the fact that we're having a uh, you know knock on wood uh, NAIA championship this year, another women's champ or excuse me NAIA championship this week, another women's championship this week, D two regionals going off. We're going to have some sort of D three tournament. You know, the NWCA sponsoring that tournament down in Coralville along with the D2 championships. And then uh, the D1 championships in St. Louis. Um, man, just uh, really grateful that we're, we're still seeing championship events in this March. And I think in a way, ingenuity comes out of boredom because we were forced into a situation where we didn't have event after event after event. And it reminds me of these great bands that create a great debut album it's because it was raw and it's primitive and and you just hear that time and time again whether it was frank papalizio or some of the coaches they say hey we got into a situation where we had to think about different solutions because we were forced into it and i think we've seen some of the ingenuity come out of this time because we never had that time to think and this time during COVID era wrestling we absolutely had time to think about what is the future of the sport going to look like? We've seen a lot of creativity from Flow Wrestling with these events like the Captain's Cup and the America's Cup and the RTC Cup and all of these great events that have been on the Flow Wrestling platform. And then on top of that, you just think about what we had to do from a content point of view is that how do we get creative and bring content that isn't based around an event? And so we got forced into a creative bubble where we had the dynasty duels. We start doing some retro 
interviews with different people and how can we get something interesting for these people. So it's just a, it's just an opportunity for us to get creative and do something that has never been done before. And I think that that's been healthy for the sport. I think some things are going to come out of this, especially for the college season, that are going to change. And I hope they do. I hope they really take a close look at making a dual meet championship because that's all we've had this year. We haven't had the tournaments. We've had to rely on dual meets to get our wrestling fix. Let's make that the focal point. It's nice, tidy, clean, two hours, you're in, you're out. It's manageable. You know as well as I do, hey, we're wrestling junkies. A 14-hour day at a wrestling tournament for anybody, that's going to wear you thin. And there's just has to be something that's a, a better solution to that. Not saying tournaments should go away because if you've been in the NCAA championships or the Olympic trials or the world team trials or the world championships, you know those events are absolutely special. But our minds cannot stay that <laughs> locked in for that long, especially if you're trying to gain new fans. But I love what's come out of this quarantine. Necessity is the mother of invention, Kyle. Sure is. And we had to invent. And, and as we think about what, what's happened, too, and, and we had to, to create, and you think about not having the events and then just the the situation where track wrestling is sold to Flow Sports. And now here we are working together as a team with Flow Wrestling and have that opportunity to have two great platforms working together. I just think some great advancements can come out of this. And I'm excited not only to see what's going to happen here with the remaining part of the year, but what's going to happen next. Because I think, really, there have been some great changes, some great concepts, and I just think you have to make sure you take this as an opportunity and don't miss this opportunity to move forward. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look at some of the things we got going on right now. This weekend, we've got conference qualifiers a week early. So we have five conference qualifiers this week with two next weekend with Big 12 and Big 10. Does this become the norm? Do we have some, you know, are they split up? And if they are split up, like, you know, I think it, it gives a lot of exposure to conferences that would other be kind of drowned out by the Big Ten and Big 12. So I think, you know, or do do we see all of the conferences go a week earlier? Do we see a shorter season? Do we see more dual meets on the calendar? I I hope that, the ability that we've had to see red like red shirts compete this year has been awesome. The extra matches has have been awesome. Will you know? Will we get to the point where we get to see college wrestling utilize like the football rule where uh, you get X amount of games without counting against you for a year of eligibility? Can we can we see an opportunity for for wrestling to get to the point where you get five years to compete in four NCAA tournaments? think that would be good for dual meet matchups i think that'd be good for for dual meets as a whole so i'm intrigued to see what out of covid era wrestling becomes permanent and what is you know what's temporary and it's changed the game on how we cover the sport with zoom interviews do we need people on site necessarily this is a deeply personal sport and i don't want to see the human element go away. I think being there, as I alluded to early on, I think being there, being part of it, seeing it, feeling it, I don't want to lose that part of it and that we just become a virtual sport or that sports become virtual, that you eliminate the fan component. You you can just do it anywhere you want, 
however you want and fans aren't a part of that. I just think that that's a big miss if we go down that road. And from a journalism point of view, I, I don't want to lose it either because I don't think you get the quality of story. I don't think you get the quality of interview. It's nice to be able to do it on Zoom, but there's nothing like sitting down with a another human being and feeding off their energy and learning where they're coming from. I just think there's real value to that. And I hope we don't lose it through advanced technology. It is nice. I, I have to admit, it is nice to be able to just say, hey, do you want to get on a, a Zoom call and we can do it? And you don't have that travel. And, and there's been coaches that have said that too. It's changed the game on that. They probably haven't taken those recruiting trips. In fact, I know they haven't because they they can't. And so how is that going to change the game? Is it going to make them better at what they do because they're able to get more done in a shorter period of time? I don't know. It's uh, there, There's a lot that remains to be seen on this right now, though it is a virtual product. And for at least, I think, probably the next six months, that's what we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Hoping we're near the end, though. We'll get back to normal here before long. Knock on wood. What do you think the number one change will be as we go forward that's going to carry on past this? When we say normal, I don't know that it's going to be quite like what it was, but if you had to look ahead, and let's just say the 2022 season starts, do you think Carver Hawkeye Arena is going to have all those fans again? Are they going to come right back? Do you think it's going to be a little bit of trepidation coming back to sporting events? I am optimistic that we have crowds and big crowds next season. You? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see, especially, it, it could go the opposite way. It could be that we missed out on a season and we're so hungry that we're going we're gonna to get there now and ticket sales could go through the roof. And when you're Iowa wrestling and you're averaging, what, over 10,000? Over 10,000 a dual meet for the University of Iowa and Penn State selling out, and it's just a good time for fan attendance. I hope that increases the value and that people say, we want this back more than ever. That's my hope. I have a feeling that could happen, especially in the wrestling culture, because it's a you-won't-stop-us mentality. And I'm hoping that that happens and that more people want to get engaged. And they don't forget these moments that they didn't have fans and that they go back in full force. It's, it's certainly going to be interesting to find out, to see, right? I mean, because, you know, without sports, I think for whatever, however long a period we were without them and without wrestling for three months, I, I think people's interest goes elsewhere. You know, I don't know about you. I've developed some, some new interests and new hobbies over the last year that never would have occurred with, without the pandemic things that that i've gotten into that i, I never would have even had the time because we've been on the road covering wrestling and so i i just know how my habits have changed my interests have changed and i i am intrigued to see whether we have more fans in the stands whether we're back to where we were or whether people have gone off and found other things that uh they're they're interested in yeah because again let's refresh everyone that we were closing in on quite possibly the peak of wrestling. And I don't want to say in the world history, but almost because what are you talking about for however many fans over 
40,000 at that point. Yeah. So you're talking about peak fan attendance in the history of wrestling. I don't know that there's been another one other than pro wrestling, which uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking more college international, but we're getting to that peak and then the peak just gets cut. It's just zero. goes down to nothing. You don't even have the championships. And we're looking at partial capacity for the upcoming D1. So to get back to that level, I hope it's not 10 years down the line. They had a vision. They wanted to see a stadium get full, and they were getting close to that. And and you know what? Hey, if the worst thing that happens is you're upset about the layout of the championships and you don't Remember that? Gosh, remember that last like beginning of February, and like that was the biggest complaint that people had is what the mats were going to look like. I mean, and they were mad. As soon as they posted the visual of what it was going to look like, the layout, people were like, "Oh, this is terrible." I mean, what's terrible about tons of people going to see wrestling and and setting records? Basketball does it, and that's only a, a one court deal. So. Come on, have a little foresight here, and, and we missed out on that. But don't be complaining when we get to that point. We have those opportunities because it is special, and we we missed out on that opportunity in 2020. Let's hope we get it back before 2030, and we can get another stadium to get on board. But uh, I'm optimistic about what wrestling's going to look like, events. But I'll tell you what, things have changed. There's been some ingenuity. You talk to a lot of the tournament directors. They've absolutely made adjustments in this year on how they execute, and I think they've really gotten fine-tuned because when do you have the the opportunity to change if all you're doing is doing? You never have that time to critically think about ways to do it, and Frank Papalizio told us there's a lot of suffering that went into it because they're... How do you feed your family? And I think that was something that was very real for Frank and how he approached it is how do I get to the point where my family gets taken care of and their needs get taken care of when this is my primary form of income and you got cut off at the knees. He had to get pretty darn creative. And like he said in the article, he doesn't cry. He cried on the way back after he had a tournament and finally got it pulled off. So a lot of good things coming out of this, a lot of changes, but some of them, as you know, have come through the cost of some heartache and some setbacks, but usually that's when changes happen, Andrew. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, adapt or get left behind, right? Yep. I'll tell you one thing that uh, won't change for me is my love for Cliff Keen. I always like to wear my silver Cliff Keen hoodie here. And I got to tell you, it's, it is kind of surreal to think back when I was growing up and knowing wrestling and Cliff Keen gear and now that we have a show sponsored by Cliff Keen, can't thank him enough. We have to take a quick advertisement, but we will be back with Brian Smith after this. When you think of wrestling headgear, a set of Cliff Keen headgear probably comes to mind. Coach Keen invented the modern headgear over 60 years ago, and Cliff Keen Athletic continues to lead the globe in their production today. Their signature headgear is the most popular ear guard on the planet. In fact, over the past decade, over 90% of NCAA champions have worn it. Alternatively, Cliff Keen's tornado headgear is infinitely customizable, and the fusion headgear offers the best of both worlds. So when we are talking about their industry-leading ear guards, you can trust Cliff Keen Athletic, the original wrestling outfitter. Go to cliffkeen.com and type in coupon code on the mat and take 20% off your order of any Cliff Keen headgear. Coupon code on the mat gets you 20% off. 
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Our guest is Missouri head coach Brian Smith. Brian, you must like the number 10, 10-0 and 0 season, 10 conference championships in a row, and 10 national qualifiers. I don't know how you get much better than that. Congrats on a good season. And when we think about the season, what's it been like having a successful season in COVID era? Hey, you, you got to be grateful for it because, you know, when I think back to a year from now or a year ago, for, uh, you know, probably next week or whatever, when we won the conference in Northern Illinois and then got back and we're training for a week and the brackets come out and then they shut down the NCAA and where we've come from, you know, from Zoom meetings in the summer to our administration, letting the guys start lifting in July to then letting us back in the practice room in early September, which was not a lot of schools did that and they let our program do it. And, and it's, you know, I, I thank them for that because it's, I just see how our team has gotten into it and we've had a, you know, a good, good solid year of training and it showed, it showed at the conference that our guys were just prepared, you know, mentally and physically because of all the practice and what our school has allowed us to do. So I'm really blessed by that. I think our kids feel the same way. My coaching staff that, you know, it, it, it's not just the just the team doing it. It takes the administrators, I mean, our trainers, our doc, team doctor. It's amazing the staff we have and what they do for our program. So I'm blessed. You have to be proud of 10 in a row conference championships. That's a barometer of success for your program. It is. I mean, it's a, it's always been the expectation when I get, you know, when I started coaching, it's like, man, you want to win the championships of the, of the things you're involved in. So I remember getting to, into the Big 12 and my first year, I think we won one match at the Big 12. And it was just, you know, one actual match and just progressing from there from one qualifier to I think three or four the next year to now we're consistently getting nine or 10 guys to the nationals. We go in with an expectation to win the conference championship every year. This year's team, you know, I thought I, 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 
I think we lost six matches the entire day, but I can remember all six of them. But I wanted to, I really thought we had a chance to have more champions. And so as a coach, you're always a little disappointed when there's a couple losses. But when you think we won 43 or 49 matches and, you know, with some tough matchups, that, that's a good day. And we got everybody out. And I think it's the first time I've gotten everybody out to the Nationals without an at-large. So that's, a, you know, another step forward for the program. You go back to those those early days, the first year. What did you think it was going to take for Missouri to win a conference championship? <laughs> a lot. We needed to, you know, it's you're looking at the kids you had then, and, and they were great people. It was, you know, Jeremy Spates came into the room that first year that, you know, after my first year, that recruiting class that came in with Jeremy Spates and Kenny Burleson. So they were young, and it's just getting them to buy into the work, to doing the little things right, and they did. And uh, eventually, I think by their senior year, we had really turned that corner because it was uh, Ben Asker and Jeremy Spates and Kenny Burleson were the All-Americans when Kenny and Jeremy were seniors. Uh, Askren was a freshman, and that's kind of the, the team that turned the corner for us. So it's uh, it's just getting enough of the room to buy into the culture and to buy into that work ethic that you'll start to see results. And once they start seeing the results of their work, they start to believe in it more and they start attracting more talent. And of course, then the wood, you know, Woodleys and other guys start coming and, you know, all it just started to snow snowball from there with more and more talent coming to the room. And when I say talent, it's the talented kids that fit our culture. And we've been really good at that, that recruiting kids that fit, what tiger style is and buying into it and enjoying it. So, so it's, it's been a, it's been a good ride to this, this point, but you know, this season was a lot of adversity. So I'm really pleased with what this team has accomplished. Do you miss competing in the big 12? Oh yeah. I mean, of course you do. Cause it's, I, I joke about this, but it's, it's, it's a serious statement too. When I was coaching at Syracuse as the head coach, and even at Cornell, the five years I was there, I always told, you know, people close to me that, you know, they would ask, what do you want to, you know, if you could be a head coach, where do you want to be a head coach? And I always say, well, if you're in Division One wrestling, you want to be a head coach in the Big Ten or the Big 12. Those are your top two conferences. So if you want to compete, you want to compete with the best teams. And so when I got the opportunity to go to Missouri, I'm in the Big 12. And of course, it got taken away from me. So I joked to my administration, all I ever want to do is coach in the Big Ten or Big 12. And you guys took it away from me going to the SEC. And, uh, but we still compete. Like this year, we competed, I think, against seven schools in, in the Big 12, you know, in our duels and, you know, the tournament down at Oklahoma State with West Virginia and, and uh, Wyoming was down there. So it, there's the great thing of the sport of wrestling is you can still compete against all these teams. We didn't get to compete with the Big Ten, but you know there's not much you can you can only control what you can control, and I don't have any control over that. It's funny how I hear from our fans constantly, like, "Why are you competing in the MAC?" And I'm like, you know, the MAC hasn't been that bad for us. If you look at in the decade we've been in the MAC now, I think it's taking this year out the nine years, I think we had well, the last 10 years. I think we've had 90 qualifiers out of a hundred possibilities and we've won the conference every year and we've had uh, six or seven top 10 finishes. So a lot of programs would kill to have something like that. And 
you know, that consistency. And so the Mac hasn't been bad. And you look at the states the Mac is in with Illinois, Ohio, and all the different states it covers. Those are good recruiting bases for the state, you know, for the sport of wrestling. Brian, can you foresee a day when Missouri's back in the Big 12 as an affiliate member, though? You could never say never. I mean, but I just know with uh, some of the schools with like Texas and Kansas and those type things, those schools had a really bitter taste in their mouth, I guess, when Mizzou left, you know, you know, left the Big 12 at, at that time. And uh, so I don't know. It, it'll, the, I think time heals wounds. <laughs> and I think uh, new administrators have taken over. Like I know just at Kansas, the administrator that is there now is the a former Arkansas AD, Jeff Long. So he's worked with our AD. So it, 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 you start getting different people because it isn't the institutions. I think it's the people that are working in those institutions. And once you start getting turnover, there's always that possibility. But, you know, I have to wrestle where I'm at. And I'm at the MAC, and we're going to wrestle those teams and we're going to compete. And we're competing at a high level is the best we can do. And that's what we do. So. I know I get that. I get that question a lot. You know, why don't you guys go into the Big Ten? Well, the Big Ten doesn't want us. <laughs> I can tell you that they don't need another tough team in the conference, and so that's not an opportunity. And the ACC just wants ACC schools, so it's not like we didn't when we were homeless there that one year when we left for the SEC. We were about to go independent because we just weren't sure where we were going to end up. And I asked the NCAA committee, Anthony Holman and those people back then, I said, Hey, I think I'm just going to go independent for a year, like a Notre Dame football and get at large bids. And I knew with the team we had, we could qualify 10 that next year. And they didn't like that. <laughs> they got a little nervous by that. So I, they said, no, you got to get in a conference. So they started helping and getting a hold of commissioners, but it wasn't easy. We were really struggling to find a conference that wanted us. So it's an interesting thing. You mentioned Jeremy Spates, and he's now the head coach at Edwardsville. Is that ever strange looking across the mat thinking, I'm coaching against this guy, and he was my athlete? Yeah, and Ty Prasmus is assistant coach who wrestled for me. So, yes, it, uh, it make, just makes me feel old because I've known Jeremy since he was a little kid. And, you know, I remember working out with him when he was in eighth grade or seventh and eighth grade when I was up at Cornell. And, so it's just crazy how long it's been. And now I see him with his wife and he's got kids and <laughs> and he's a head coach and he's, and he's doing a great job. So it just makes you feel proud to see him. And I'm sure his dad, I know his dad is too, that he's taken it to this level and he's doing, having success. So real proud of him. Did you see that coming? Did you think he could be a good ho- coach when he was an athlete? Oh, definitely. I tried to, I had them all set up to stay here. We didn't have a coaching position, but we were going to keep them on as like a director of ops or whatever and keep them here. And I think his dad snatched them right up and, uh, you know, got them back down there, you know, down to Oklahoma at the time. So I knew, you know, he's just a really bright kid and he knows the sport so well. He grew up as a coach's son and he did that for us. Having him in the program was like having another coach in the program. So it was when I look back that, you know, those five years he spent with us, it really helped us because he understood recruiting. And a lot of people don't realize that, but, you know, having Jeremy Spates as a freshman, sophomore, junior, all those years, he was the one recruiting Ben Askren. And he was the one helping us recruit Matt Pels and 
you know, Tyron Woodley's and guys like that. So it was him and Mark Bader. Those guys were all roommates together. And they, it was such a great group of young men that really bought into Tiger style and helped me. They were great people. You mentioned Mark Bader. He's our new teammate now. What did he bring to the table yeah. with Missouri Wrestling? Just complete buy-in. You know, he was a a kid from St. Louis, one of the Catholic schools in St. Louis, and I didn't even recruit him. He was a part of you know, Coach Roper's last class, and uh, when Roper stepped away, he was here as one of the freshmen. So he had never, you know, he he had never he was one of the guys that didn't have Coach Roper as a coach, but was a true freshman. So when I come in and people started quitting and all that, he just thought, well, this is just normal. I don't know. This guy's just crazy, but it's, this is the norm. But the older guys were like, this guy's crazy. I can't believe you're going to stay here, <laughs> that type of thing. But he bought into it. You know, he, he was uh, just a great worker and, you know, cut down to 25 for us and had a pretty, pretty darn good career. He was tough as nails and winning big duels for us. I remember going into that, first big win we got which was i don't know if it was his third or fourth year i forget when it was but we we had it was probably my fourth year here we had gotten beat by illinois god i don't know like 30 to 3 every year probably the average the first three years i was here and we had to match in a high school gym and somewhere in st louis area so it was packed with illinois and mizzou fans and they were ranked like ninth or tenth in the country and we had not had a big win yet since i'd been there and we went in and knocked them off in the opening duel of the year and ended up going 18 and three that year and beating four or five big 10 schools. But that duel was kicked off with Mark winning a huge win. And, and I think it was an overtime and getting the duel kicked off to where we started winning those tight battles and those big duels and knocking off good teams. One of the perks of COVID era wrestling is you don't have to make some tough decisions on who you're going to redshirt and who you're not going to redshirt. One of the people you did not redshirt. And there's a good reason because he got a free year. Keegan O'Toole. I mean, he had to just been a hammer right off the bat when he came in the room. Yeah, he's, you know, I've known Keegan for a long time and, you know, just through Ben and his academies and hearing about him and then finally getting to recruit him. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but we would talk a lot in the recruiting process and we'd have these like unbelievably uh, in-depth talks about technique and things. And he'd be talking to me about, you know, when I'm riding and this and I'm watching film of Mizzou guys and what you're doing and like long discussions about technique that um, I would go back in the office the next day and talk to it was it was Joe, Joe Johnson and Alex Clemson at the time. And I'd be like, this kid's special. I'm just telling you that he is, he's thinking on a different level. You know, when you think of, you know, athletes with high IQs, well, I can give you examples of that and what he's doing, you know, and why it's special. And so I knew this kid was going to be unbelievable. And he was young and little then, but he's grown now and he's, he's uh, built into a 65 pounder. I don't even know if he's a full fledged 65 pounder yet, but he is going to be you know, something special for us. And he, you know, he already is just with, and then in the attitude of just, and the Askerns, you know, don't always get this, maybe there's this respect, but Ben was an amazing, Ben and Max, you know, especially Ben, Ben was an amazing team leader in our program. And Keegan brings that too, where he's just, he lives it right. He does it right. Everything he does is amazing. And so he's going to be that Pied Piper of our, 
you know, future of our program now and how it progresses to that next level. And that's exciting. Brian, it seems like uh, from my vantage point, you guys have kind of been a developmental program, though, where where guys come in and later in their career are having great success and, and you don't see a lot of true freshmen in your lineup through the years. Do you think in a normal year, would we see Keegan and, and Rocky Elam in the lineup this year? How, how did that affect your, your decision-making there? It definitely, you said it was an easy decision. It was actually a difficult year for me because I had to sit people, you know, guys like Wyatt Colin, who was a senior and a really good 97 pounder. He had wins over the Arizona state kid last year, and had, you know, a couple great seasons for us. And, didn't get the opportunity because we, you know, Rocky was just that little bit better where he wouldn't, Rocky would have normally redshirted where Keegan O'Toole probably redshirts and develops and gets stronger and becomes a 65 and Mako stays at 65 and, you know, and probably Sean Harmon still at 74. So it just, it makes it hard as a coach because you have to make tough decisions and say, we're going to go with this best lineup right now and we're not going to do the red shirt. You know, we're, it's just, it makes the most sense. You have to, if you have these elite kids, you got to put them in there because it's a free year. But I know that for probably a long time, I hope it's for a real long time. Coaches don't have to make that decision again. And we don't have a pandemic to put us through this again. When you have to make the decision though, and you insert them into the lineup, do they start seeing stars? Do they start thinking about five-time All-American, five-time national champion, which is the potential right now? Yeah. Well, uh, Keegan O'Toole uh, thinks on a different level. He came to me in the first after the first weekend, and well, one of his matches, he only got a decision, and he's like, how am I going to win the Hodge if like, I'm only scoring this amount of points? That's how he thinks. He gets so frustrated if he's not scoring points and matches. And you see it the way he wrestles. He's attacking and scoring and scrambling and trying to turn people and pin people. So it's uh, he's a special individual. And Rocky's the same way. Rocky's scoring a lot of points. I think he had a close match in the first round of the MAC. And that I think it was probably nerves. But uh, I sat with him afterwards. I'm like, what is, when is Rocky the best? He's like, when I'm moving my hands and feet and I'm shooting. I'm like, did you move your hands and feet and shoot? No. So the next match he goes out and he's destroying a guy. And, you know, and it's just, but you, you got to remember they're true freshmen that uh, they still are going to have emotion that goes into the sport and they're going to have nerves. And you got to remember, you know, as a coach, you got to, coach them up probably a little bit more here as they're true freshmen because they're going through things they've never been through in NCAA wrestling. So you can't take it for granted. Do we get to add Rocky and Zach Elam to the brother combinations who fight in the wrestling room? You know what? <laughs> they, they do get pretty, uh, <laughs> they, they get after it a little. They do. So we don't, they don't always drill ever. I know they don't drill very much. And I even joke with them that, Hey, are you guys going to behave yourselves? And, and they just give a smile, but it's, it's funny. They're really close and they, uh, but they, they can battle. They argue a little bit too, <laughs> but I've had a few, you know, with Max and Ben and all the McCormick brothers. And it's, it's, that's the great thing of wrestling, which is with the family involvement of the sport that I've been fortunate to coach a lot of brothers, you know, that have uh, gone through the program. Do you want them to fight? Not just the brothers, but do you want your guys to fight? 
Man, we've had some great stories of almost fights. And when I say great, that I love that intensity. You know, I don't want it to come to blows. and You don't want it to get to that. But you want that where they're so competitive that they're going to battle each other and they're going to get mad at each other and they're going to be pushing and shoving, but they know they don't want to take it to that next level. So it's, it's something we have to teach in the room. We want that. And that's what makes the room, you know, a, a great example of it is just Noah Certain and Connor Brown. Connor got hurt on Wednesday before we, or Tuesday, the day before we fly out for the conference championships. And Noah Certain is, was going to go on the trip to just help out, but him and Connor battle in the room and they're feisty with each other. And Connor breaks his leg and looks up at uh, Noah and he's like, you're going to go win the conference and this and that, and, you know, cause they battle each other every day. And Noah goes out there and took second, loses to Hildebrandt, but knocks off Werner and beats a bunch of good people at the six seed. And it's just, you need that where you're battling each other in the room and making each other better. And when it all comes down to it, whoever gets inserted in the lineup is going to be ready for it. How did you take Jaden Ironman transferring to Iowa? Move on to the next guy. You know, it's if he doesn't feel like he wants to be a part of this program, you move on to the next guy. I don't want people to be in my program if they don't feel like they believe in the program and that and believe in what Tiger style is and what it, what we're developing in people. And so it's, you know, if he feels like that's better for him, then he needs to move on. And you see it, Alan Hart's a pretty good replacement, so he's going to be right there in the thick of things in this weight class. So we'll move on to a person that wants to be here. I think that's in any organization. You want people that want to be in your organization. Seems like it's pervasive, though, just across the board. How do you mentally handle that as a coach, knowing that you can go to the transfer portal, you can put your name in, and you're on to the next? It's part of the, the culture right now of what college athletes do. How do you prepare for that as a coach? You have great depth in your room, and that's something we have. But uh, you don't want it to be that. You want it to be where kids are coming to get their degree. You're going to get a great wrestling experience, you hope. And uh, it's, I, I think it's a dangerous thing that our culture is selling that, you know, if it gets tough at one place or, you know, when I say that, when it gets tough, if you're not making the lineup, you know, it just jump ship and go somewhere else. And I think of the year, I had Leroy Barnes and Matt Manley at 41 and Manley lost to uh, Leroy in a wrestle off and in a tournament. But then I took Matt to a dual meet. He won. Then I took him out to Vegas and he ended up taking third or fourth at Vegas. And I just told Leroy Barnes that we're going to go with him. He's going to be ranked in the top 10 and we're going to go with him. And I told him, why don't you bump up to 57? I think you could do well there. And that's where we're, you know, I think you could fit in the lineup. And he looked at me like I was crazy, came back the next day and said, I'll do it. And ends up winning the conference championship and having a great career. He could have just said, I'm leaving, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else and, and transfer at the semester. But he chose to stay there and fight it, and go to the next weight and do the right thing. And, and now he loves it that he stayed and did that. And I think that's something that we're going to start losing where kids are going to decide and just, I'm going to bounce around and there's no loyalty and, Unfortunately, you saw that happen in pro sports, so it kind of trickles down that there's no loyalty in staying with a place. If, they, if you don't like it there, go to the next one. And, but uh, I guess that's the culture we live in, so you just deal with it as a coach. and Do the best you, think you can as developing your, you know, what your program's about and the culture and people wanting to be there and enjoying it, that it's more than just the 
competition part of it, that it's also a part of a team and what you're doing. And so I, I, I've had a lot of success of keeping people here and having great careers here. So what caused that culture shift, Brian? What causes it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you look at now people like I'm an oddity now and John Smith and Rob Cole that we've been at a place for as long as we have coaching. When you look at the years of coaching, people just don't want, don't, they bounce around, you know, and, and CEOs of companies only last a short, short amount of time now. Cause as soon as there's a, a downward trend or something, well, let's replace him and get somebody else. I just, I, I, it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know what causes it, but it's just, I think people, and maybe it's media, social media and things like that, that it, we, we have so much information that we make decisions quickly instead of, you know, I think of after three years at Missouri, how bad we were. I knew it was getting better, but in today's day and age, after those three years, they may have fired me. I've told this to the administration that, man, when you get frustrated with a football coach, you got to let them develop and this and that. Let them, you know, give them that fourth and fifth year because it takes time. But, man, the media and the social media, when I say the media, the social media part of it with fans and people and message boards and things like that can be really cruel. And kids read that and alumni read that and other people read that, that they start to believe it. And it's usually such a minority on there, but it, it sometimes influences the decision makers. And I think that's wrong. But uh, you hope kids are stronger than that. You hope administrators are stronger than that and can do the right thing. But that's probably part of the trend. That's just my two cents. But Do you have conversations with your athletes about social media? A little bit. You know, I, I try to get them to get off phones, but it's, it's crazy. They just they grow up with it now. It's different than when I grew up. I didn't, I didn't get a phone until I was at Missouri. I didn't even have a cell phone when I coached at Cornell and Syracuse. I remember Bart Horton telling me, hey, you got to get a phone and get with the times, man. And it was the worst decision I ever made because now I'm living on it. But uh, it's, uh, it is difficult. You, I tell them when they're like, man, did you see that ranking? I'm like, stop. Stop looking into that stuff. And, but it's hard because there's so much information out there and you know, it's, I, I tell them that you, when you stop, start worrying about that, you build up anxiety and you're worrying about things that you can't control. Just go out and wrestle and win matches and it controls itself. And that's all you can do as a coach. And I'm not going to be the coach to say you can't be on it and this and that. I don't let them have them on the bench and stuff. But of course, then they're telling me it's my music coach. I need it for my headphones to listen. So it's hard. It's, it's an interesting time, but I am, uh, I'm very, conservative and old school, but I have, I've had to change with the times to understand, you know, and having three kids of my own, it's really helped me, you know, just to see how kids are growing up today. It's different than when I did and I have to adjust with it. Let's relate that to how you grew up. We featured you in our My Wrestling Hero feature and barely did we make it in because you said, I, I really don't have a, a wrestling hero and we finally got you to say something. But your upbringing was that you weren't around the sport like a lot of these kids are, that they get 24-7 access to wrestling. Yours was completely yeah. opposite of that. Explain what you had to grow up with. Yeah, I didn't start wrestling till. I didn't make the decision until after freshman football. My dad took me for a ride. So this is in ninth grade and 
He said, what are you doing on Monday? I said, well, I'm going out for the ninth grade basketball team. I've been playing CYO. And he's like, well, I think, you know, as a Smith, we're all small and you should probably, but you love football. And I was a quarter, I was a little option quarterback on the freshman team. And and he said it would be, wrestling would be good for football. So when he said that, I I remember wrestling a little bit in phys ed or something in fifth and sixth grade. And I was like, "Ah, I don't know about that, but Man, I thought about it. My dad was giving me this advice. He's the old school football coach. and He knows better. So if it's good for football, I'll do it. And that's how I got involved with it. And I was on the JV team that year and, and really didn't like it. Couldn't wait for the season to get over, to get in the weight room more and get bigger for football. And uh, just remember getting into it my sophomore year and making it to the state and losing to the runner-up in the third placer and stepping back and saying, man, I actually work at this sport like I work at football. How good could I be? And that's when I became possessed. But trying to find things to help you was difficult. I was in Florida and there just there was no videotapes really at that time. There was nothing on there wasn't an online at that time. So I would just run from club to club and pick people's brains, you know, and learning that from my dad who was a coach, you know, you find people that can help you. So I just would do that and bother people, you know, tell me, tell me what, uh, how you do this. How do you finish singles and this and that? It just took over my life. And I spent two summers in Long Island, New York, where my cousins were D2 All-Americans and all that and learning from them. So I gave up my summers and it definitely improved me. I just became a student of the sport 24-7 and caught up a little. But it was really two years of wrestling that I was just nonstop and became possessed and even moved away from my family to go to St. Thomas Aquinas. I lived with my grandmother to be coached by Randy Miller, who wrestled was Pat uh, Melkovich's uh, roommate in college at Michigan state was a great wrestler. And just to work out with him and learn from him for my senior year. And that helped me get better too. But I was so far behind the curve, but then ended up getting recruited by Michigan state and going up there and having a great career. But I think of these kids coming in today and what they know in wrestling and shoot Rocky and Keegan that Rocky's been overseas and wrestling. He trained at the Olympic training center his senior year and his workout partners were Kevin Jackson and Jaden Cox. And I'm thinking this kid's coming in here. He's so far ahead of where I was. My first college dual meet at Michigan state was the first college dual meet I had ever been at. So, <laughs> and I'm, I was wrestling in it. But Rocky Elam probably didn't hitchhike to practice like you did. No. When I was in Lauderdale by myself, it was city buses and hitchhiking to get to club practices, wherever I could find a place. You know, it was, it was insane. I just, <laughs> I was a mature kid and just uh, a tunnel vision kid, too, that I, all I wanted, all I could see is just wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Once I get, And I gave up football after my sophomore year. My dad was a football coach, and he said, well, go be the best wrestler. And so I had great parents, you know, that, you know, supported, didn't force me to stay in something. They, but they wanted you doing something. And that, that I became, you know, it was all about wrestling. And I think about that, even when I took a high school coaching job in Fort, Fort Lauderdale, after I graduated, I wanted to be a wrestling coach. And I knew and we, we had great teams. We were second and fourth the two years I was at Western High School in the state, right behind Brandon. But I wanted to coach football still <laughs> that if I would, st- if I was still down there, I'd be on 30 years or whatever, 31 years. I'd be a f- head football coach now in high school, loving it. 
because I still love coaching both. You know, I, st- I coach youth football with my son and I still enjoy coaching. You know, I wish I could coach football. It, it's, it's something I enjoy too. And I learned a lot from my father about how football coaching is and bring it into my coaching and wrestling. So I think that difference has actually helped me where I'm, you know, you bring an outside perspective on how to run practices and how to develop your assistant coaches to do things and watching my dad do that and going to coaches clinics with them. So it's really given me, given me a different perspective other than just a wrestling coach perspective. One of your former athletes was Jaden Cox, two-time world champion, Olympic bronze medalist, world bronze medalist. I think I've had you tell this before, but I love it when you tell this story. Freshman year, you had your Hoosiers moment where you took him before the NCAA championship finals, took him into the raised stage, and the guy was like a kid at a candy store. Explain that moment and why you did that. Well, I do that to all my guys. You know, they're in the finals. Let's walk out to the stage. We got to make sure we don't trip on the stairs. I joke with them. You know, we got we can't be that guy that runs up the steps to the stage and falls. And let's go out there and see it when it's empty. And you just see it's no big deal. It's just a mat. But when I brought him up there, it was like he got out there and you see him turn and he's a true freshman in college. And so I wanted him to get over that you know, nervousness. And he just had this big, big grin on him. And I'm like, man, we're in good shape tonight. <laughs> I just remember, I forget who was standing next to me, but I just never watched. I stayed away. I stayed off to the side and just watching him walk around and he just looked so comfortable. He was in, you know, he could, I could see it in his eyes. He's picturing the crowd and him getting his arm raised and, and how excited and ready he was for it. So it, it's one of those special moments you see that there was nobody really in the building, but a couple of people working the tables and I'm watching it. And I wish I would have videotaped it because those moments are special that you see that and you wish you had it, you know, saved for, you know, for all time. Cause I, that would be a special moment to show people, show my athletes today. Brian, that's why you have a cell phone. You take it out and you use it. There's the technology <laughs> piece. I told you I'm not a big cell phone guy. Oh, I'm terrible at that. I say it. Oh, I should have taken that picture. Uh, One of the advantages of, uh, of having a, a camera on your cell phone there. All right. 2016 though, this was a remarkable year for Jaden Cox. Jaden Cox wins the NCAA championships, has to make a decision on what he's going to do with the Olympics, comes in as the nine seed, makes the 86 kilogram team for the Olympics, but he doesn't have a passport. Take us through that whole scenario yeah. and how he gets a bronze medal at the Rio Olympics in 2016. Yeah, it was, uh, well, first right after the NCAAs, he was like, tired and i remember that saturday night he's like yeah i don't even think i want to cut the weight to go down for the olympic you know for the olympic trials and this and that and i'm like all right give him a day and then he's like i mean you got to do this you have a chance to make an olympic team you got to do it so he he finally decides to do it he only had what a week and a half about a week well, it was two weeks till the trial so we gave him a couple of days of recovery then he got some workouts in shows up and really, if you look back in his first match, he almost lost. I think he had to take the guy down and turn him at the end or something to win the match. And uh, and then he got on a roll and started beating people and he wins it. But right after we're sitting there, he had to go qualify the spot. And I forget what country it was, but we had to send him the next week to go compete at that. And I didn't tell Jaden that, that when he won it, that he didn't really qualify for the Olympics <laughs> because the weight wasn't qualified. Cause I knew if I told him that he probably would have thrown the match. Cause he was like, I'm not making weight next week too. Cause that was, that was like his third competition. You know, he had NCAAs, he has a trials and then he had to go qualify the spot overseas. 
And I'm like, Jaden, you have a passport, right? Because you're going to have to go. And he's like, a passport for what? Uh, you're going to have to go qualify at a tournament next week. And he was so upset. And he's like, no, I don't have one. So we figured it out. I think Bill was helping us and got us set up. We're somewhere in Denver. We flew him into Denver. Somebody from the training center met him up there and kept him. I think it was one of the trainers <laughs> got him in there. In an hour, they had him all set up and ready, and we flew him back home. And they got his passport, and they got him out there. But it's crazy because I think he calls us, and I think he got his bag stolen at the <laughs> airport. So Joe was flying out the next day. Joe Johnston was going out there the next day to get with him and brought more gear for him. It was one of those crazy things that it was just bang, bang, bang. But he goes out and wins the tournament, qualifies the weight for the U.S., and then goes and wins the bronze, which was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing when you think about it, you know, what he did that year. I don't think he gave up a takedown, right, at the Olympics? Um. I that that might have been in the world championships. I think at the Olympics, he because uh, he won the bronze. He was the bronze, so I don't think he gave up a takedown there either. Yeah, I don't think so. I wow. just remember it being a, a, a time match, and he what he was a little confused by who was winning in the semis. It was frustrating, but but he's lived and he's learned, and he's gone on and won two world titles, which is really special. But then after that, you had to kind of play his agent. He was a popular dude on campus, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. And being from the city of Columbia, that everybody wanted him to come in every rotary club and every, our SID that, you know, during the season, I finally had to shut it down his senior year because people just, this was even before, you know, well, it was after the Olympic year, but his senior year, he just, people wanted him to speak at everything and do everything, even the university. You know, he wrote a song for a fundraiser for the university and played it. But it it got to the point where he was getting 10 to 20 requests a week to do things. And we had to shut it down for a little while, but he was a busy guy. I think it's part of the reason why it's been so good for him to get to Colorado because he is, uh, you know, he's away from Columbia where everybody knows him. And just thinks, hey, Jaden, can you come speak at our club or can you do this? And he's such a nice person that he can't say no. And I'm like, Jaden, you got to learn to say no at these times. You got any football players you're going to turn into NCAA champions? I wish. Our football coach is doing a good job. So I don't know. No, not right now. Not right now. We have, but that was uh, Mark Ellis. He got cut from football and uh, Andy Hill, who coaches with the Chiefs, who I was, you know, he was coaching here. And I said, Andy, if Mark Ellis gets cut from the team or decides he doesn't want to play football because he walked on at Mizzou, I said, walk him and I'll meet you. And he's like, hey, I'm walking. I'm sending him out. He's walking towards the stadium. Go meet him. So I grabbed him and <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. Mark is a national champ at Mizzou. You excited about the Olympic trials? I know you have, uh, we talked about Jaden Cox, but is this something you'll be going to and be part of? Well, I'm definitely going because, you know, Don Bradley too. Don will be wrestling there, and I'm hoping a couple more will qualify. We're going to take a bunch to the last chance, and, you know, like Keegan and Josh Edmond and Brock Mahler and those guys. Brock, you know, and then if we have national champs, they qualify. So we're hoping to get more than just the two that are qualified now. 
So we're hoping we can get a few more down there and get down to Texas and watch some good wrestling. Excited, excited that it's happening, you know, that it's going to happen this year finally for these athletes. You get scared there for a while that thinking that this Olympic Games wouldn't happen. And that's, you know, with every four years, it's tough enough that when it got our NCAAs got canceled and kids lost a year, but at least there's this opportunity this season where an Olympian loses it. Yeah, that's that's a big part of their life, and it could be in the peak of their career. So glad it's happening. Brian, you're a guy that, that seems to have a pretty good uh, global outlook on the sport and what's good for the sport as a whole. And obviously when you run into a, a COVID pandemic situation, it forces you to adapt a little bit and come up with new ways, better ways. What uh, things that we have changed here in the last year would you like to see perhaps become permanent part of the sport shorter season i was talking with uh, coach borelli the other day at the conference championships and i said are you ever going to wrestle in november again he's like no i said no way i said this season was it was actually nice because it was short and our guys you know our it, it was the kids seemed to enjoy it more they didn't get that i remember wrestling in college and you'd just be so worn out by the fifth month of the season and it's just it's just too long of a season that we've talked about it for years. Hopefully this will be the springboard to make coaches believe that, yes, this was good for our athletes. They don't need to wrestle over two full semesters. And I hope I hope we'll get it either either move to one semester. And if we don't do that, just shorten the season a little bit. And, you know, everybody said we still need all these competitions and all that. We need more than we had this year, but we don't need you know, 35, 40 matches, we can get away with 15, 20 matches, I think. And, and, if, and, and, and then of course, dual meets too. I wish we would have a dual meet championships. I, I, I do think the dual meet is so exciting. I'm watching duels on TV all the time now and streaming. And it just, the, the people in the community love dual meets. Uh, when you watch tournaments and stuff, it, it's so spread out when they, each school kid is going to wrestle and people aren't going to watch a tournament all day. And I just think our sport has to somehow come to their senses and realize that the dual meet takes two hours. It's team versus team. You know, what's going to happen. You're seeing it take over in freestyle these team competitions and people watch them. I, I mean, we were sitting there watching Dom's team with that, uh, Titan duels and all those different things they've had. And I sat and watched the whole dual meet because I wanted to see how Dom's team would do. And Dom was the last weight, but I'm cheering for his teammates just so they have a chance to win the term, you know, the tournament that he's in. And so it's, I just think a dual meet is a big part of our sport that has to be pushed to the forefront more and uh, become more important and be a part of the national championships too. I, I, I know a lot of people will say I'm crazy on that. You know, half the people, it's kind of a, there's a lot of split in this, but I just, I think for the, I think administrators, what they view in this, that they can go watch a two hour event and it's their whole team wrestling. I think that's, you got to think outside the box of your sport. You got to take yourself out of the wrestling. And yes, the, the NCAAs is a great event and it always will be, but dual meets and a dual meet championship would be special too. How you feel about wrestling conference tournaments last weekend in February as opposed to the first weekend in March? I love it. I love it. I think it's because uh, right now we would. It's Sunday. If this was next week, we'd be looking at 
we have to be at the NCAAs on Monday this year for testing. So I'd have six days, like four or five days to train our guys in between the conference and the NCAAs. And that would be just, just, you know, that's a tough tournament to come off of and then go into the next tournament and kids are worrying about tickets and this and that. We're going to get that done this week, get some really good training in. So I talked to some of the coaches in our conference and said, we should just leave it like this and give the kids give them a few days off and recover from a major tournament and get them uh, a couple of weeks where they get ready and then take off and travel. I think it'll be tough on the conferences that go next week. And then you're having to give them a day off on a Monday or Tuesday and you're leaving Monday the next week. So I like it. I like it a lot. Brian, you're the guy that has had a dual meet on a stage. You've had practice in the student union. What's kicking around in your head right now for your next idea? I would love to do a dual meet, you know, it's just the weather is the factor under the arch in St. Louis. You know, it's a park there and under the arch, put a mat on a stage or something in that park and wrestle it. That would be really cool. So that's, that's one of those. And then, uh, in Kansas city, the, uh, the electric district or whatever it's called, uh, the, you know, they have a, a big bar area where you walk out of the arena and you go into that bar area and it's a whole entertainment area, but there's a stage and stuff and have it in there. So those would be my next two things that I'll try to attempt to make it happen before I finish up. I thought we might see a Missouri Cornell duel on a cruise ship somewhere off uh, shore in Fort Lauderdale. That would definitely be a coal idea. (laughs) That would be a coal idea for sure. And he'd be like, Hey, we have to be at the duel, but that's it. And then we'll go to the buffet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you promised me one thing. Will you take us hitchhiking with you? I don't know. I don't know about hitchhiking in Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in 1984, it was a little different than it is now in uh, 2021. So, and a little busier. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll go hitchhiking and we'll take a selfie together. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for this time, Brian. All the best at the national championships. Good. I look forward to seeing you guys out there. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When it comes to wrestling singlets, trust me, as a former wrestler myself, there is nothing else out there like Cliff Keen uniforms. There's a reason they've been around since the 1950s, folks. With the season just starting for a large part of the country, Cliff Keen is running a promo for our loyal on-the-mat subscribers. Go to cliffkeen.com, build and order a set of Cliff Keen custom singlets, and type in coupon code ONTHEMAT and receive 20% off your order. Coupon code on the mat gets you 20% off singlets. This is a limited time deal, so take advantage of it while you can. It's that easy. Brian Smith, visionary for the sport of wrestling. It's always fun to tap into his head and hear what is going to transpire. I like the idea of a dual meet under the arch. I would love to see that happen. I think that is just something that is 
just so right about what should happen in wrestling, especially because St. Louis has been this go-to city for the national championships to have a dual meet. I think it should be Cornell, as you said, hey, if if they can't do it on a uh, a cruise ship, why not have it under the arch? I think it should be Cornell versus Missouri. Let's make that happen. Whatever we can do to promote Missouri versus Cornell under the arch, that is a great idea, Brian Smith. Well, it seems like it would be more of a natural from Missouri against Illinois under the arch. Yeah. Kyle. Yeah. I, I Right there on the river. It's a natural, but... There's also that element I would love to see Cole against Smith. There's just well, let's something get that like on the that. cruise ship. Where would just off of Florida? You think just yeah, Florida cruise? Yeah, ship. I mean they wrestle South Beach duels there at the the convention center in Fort Lauderdale, and you know you park for that in in the parking ramp. You can stand up on the parking ramp, and just on the other side of the parking ramp are all, all these cruise ships, massive cruise ships docking and waiting to go out to sea and. I think that would be, it could be fun. I know that there was some discussion about it a couple years back. So I think it'd be a blast. I think that'd be so much fun. Now you just keep saying names like, why not have a dual meet in a parking garage just to mix it up a little bit? Don't tell Brian Smith that because he might actually do it because he's a guy that follows through on those things. But I love what he does. I love the, the idea. And you know what it did for me, too? It just absolutely made me miss the national duels. I know it wasn't a true yep. team championship, but my goodness, that was special. And the more you reflect on it, the more special it gets. And I've had people articulate that to me, too, how special it was to have it in the Dome. And we've Talked about that numerous times on this program, but man, what a great situation that was to have every single division. And I think now with the prominence of women's wrestling making the surge that it has to have women's wrestling in the dome like it was, I think it'd be even more prominent. But maybe someday we'll get it again, but for the time being, we'll just live on those memories and appreciate that we got it when we did. And we had Barry Zito there. We did. Cy Young Award winner. You had a chance to talk to him and... Remember a little crowd of journalists talking to him, how odd that was that he was there to pick the brain of Dan Gable and John Smith. But again, right after, yeah, right after he'd signed a seven year, $126 million contract, he celebrated by coming out to Iowa and single digit temps and national duels. Yeah, it's a uh, can't make this stuff up, man. Can't make up what's going to happen and what has happened in the year of COVID. We're closing in on the national championships and the Olympic trials. But as always, for Brian Smith, Andy Hamilton, I am Kyle Klingman. You have been listening to On The Mat. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 
What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.